And you may be seated. Hey, it's great to have you today. Psalm 33 is where we're going to begin. It's a very, very simple verse, but very profound. I want you to say these simple words with me. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Could we say that again? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, how many know not every nation would say that God is their Lord? Certainly not every person in the United States would say God, uh, the Lord Jesus, is the Lord of America. But the more people that do, the more apt you are to find God's blessing in every day of your life. Uh, Our nation is arguably the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. We do more to help the poor of the world than any other nation. Uh, We do more to establish freedom and democracy than any other nation in the world. Ours is the center, the mecca of not only economic development, but of education. There's something special about America, not because we're inherently better than anyone else, but because God has placed His hand upon us. And I want to suggest to you that America has enjoyed the the hand of God on her her history, uh, on her days, because the founding of this nation, the men and women that gave themselves to the Lord, that gave us this great nation, were deeply dedicated Christian people by and large. And uh, this message today uh, is in the context of an upcoming election. In just a few weeks, actually tomorrow is early voting. And I like to every year at this time talk about issues that are on the minds of Americans from a biblical point of view. What does the Bible say have to say about issues that candidates are espousing? What does the Bible have to say about the, the positions of our different political parties? Uh, my intent today is not to uh, try to encourage you to be a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or Independent. My intent is to hopefully encourage you to vote biblical values. Uh, I, I have been asked the question, why would you talk about politics in church? Well, I think the question itself reveals something we don't understand. Uh, politics, by definition, simply means the way a nation is governed. The Bible is filled with admonitions towards proper government of its people. But listen to this, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, uh, the first dictionary of, of the American people, it defined politics as the values, morals, and ethics that regulate the people to preserve their safety, peace, and prosperity. Now think about that. Values, morals, and ethics, those are religious terms. And God cares about how our nation is governed and about the politic of our nation. Our founders intended America to be governed by Christian principles or by the principles of the Bible. Now, many people today would say, well, that's absolutely not true. But let me read a quote to you from our second president, John Adams. John Adams said the highest glory of the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War, was this that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of... Now, can you imagine a president of the United States making that bold statement? That's not uh, to demean in any way other religions. Freedom of religion gives us all the right to worship God or any God or not worship at all. But it's to recognize the power of Christianity in our history. Our starting place to talk about government and politics is not gender and race. 
The reason politics is so ugly and dirty today, I think, is we've included a lot of uh, secular positioning and there's political jockeying and there's hatred and we just, we don't like to think about it. We just turn our TVs off. But I want to share a little quick video. My wife gave this to me. It's, uh, her name is Priscilla Shiver. She's a Pastor Tony Evans' daughter. And she talks about issues of race and politics and things in a way I don't know that I could. And I want you to hear her just a moment and then, uh, then I'll continue. I do not describe myself as a black woman because that gives too much power to my blackness. I don't want black, my race, to be the describing adjective, the defining adjective of who I am as a woman. I am not a black woman. I am a Christian woman who happens to be black. Because it's the job to describe the noun of who you are. And if there's going to be an adjective describing me, it is not going to be my race. It is going to be that I am a woman who believes in every single thing that my word, that my God has declared to be true. And I will stand firmly on the promises of his word because I will be girded in truth. So you may be a black woman, a black man, a white woman, a white man, but that should not define you. So that if your race or if your political group is going in a different direction than the word of God, you don't choose your blackness or your whiteness or whatever culture you are. You do not choose that or your political persuasion over what it is that God's word declares to be true. I hate to tell you this, but God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. He came to take over. Well, I want to ask you to give me that same privilege this morning. Not to look at me as a 60-year-old white southern man, but look at me as a Christian pastor. Someone that believes the Bible is the inerrant word of God and its principles are abiding. And if we would practice its principles, not only in our churches, but in our civil government and our business and our schools, that we'd be a better place and a better nation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to do my best. I'm going to look at seven issues that people are talking about. I want to talk about everything from immigration to gun control to abortion to, to the casino issue that's on the ballot in Arkansas. And I want to do my best to give you a biblical perspective. I want to do my best to find some principles in the Bible that will help guide your thinking. And this is what I, my hope is, is my hope is that when we vote, when we, don't, when we choose a party or a candidate, that we're not just looking at the soundbite, we're not just looking at the impression of our own family history and politics, but we're looking for biblical values. We're looking for someone that resonates truth, that is in agreement with the scripture, so that our nation may indeed be a blessed nation. This is not a doctrinal message. I will do my best not to uh, convey personal opinions, but uh, I, I want to present to you today something that I have given time, thought, and prayer to that I hope will help you as you decide who you're going to vote for when you go in that booth. Um, I've entitled this morning's message, A Pastor's Perspective on the State of the Union. So let's begin. I want to begin with the founder's view of the proper role of government. The men and women that gave us this great nation in the Declaration of Independence, it's, it's the, the beginning words are filled with context. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That is, any man or any woman could see and understand. 
All men are created equal. Even when they get a bad rap today. Some of them own slaves. That was wrong and inexcusable, but yet by revelation they understood that even a practice that was wrong, that there is an equality, and thank God America has gone forwards from that point. But they call they said that all of us are created equal. We're endowed by our Creator, they believed in God, with certain unalienable rights. An unalienable right is a right that cannot nor should not be taken away. It is given by God, and among these, they list three. The first is life, the second is liberty or freedom, and the third is the pursuit of happiness. Now listen to this last sentence. It is pregnant with meaning. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, what does that mean? Is that God gives us our rights, not our government. We're not on the government dole. Uh, God was the one that gave rights. And the proper role of government is to not to come up with volume and volume and volume of law, but the proper role of government is to protect our God-given rights. The government, we are not the government servant. The government is to be our servant. Uh, government is to protect our rights and the power that the government has comes from the consent, the agreement of the people, and that's us. The nation that began was a nation beginning with we the people. Now, if I could give you on that basis, I'm going to look at seven different uh, issues that I will endeavor to provide scriptural support for you, and hopefully that will, uh, will enhance your thinking. Uh, the first one is religious freedom. Religious freedom is simply the freedom that an individual has and should have either to worship or not worship God as they choose. It is not the role of the state. Some states, well, when, when, when the founders came to America, they left England that had a state church. In communist China right now, they're trying to shut down and close underground house Christian churches, and they want everything to filter through the state church that's controlled by the state. Well, religious freedom says the opposite. This was so important to our founders that our founders gave us in the Bill of Rights, the very first amendment in the Bill of Rights, it says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. And we hear that all the time when the government wants to push religion away from it. But then this phrase, Congress shall not prohibit the free exercise thereof. In other words, our government shall not stop your right and my right to worship God as I see fit. And not just to worship God in the church house, but to take my religious principles into the world where I live. If I'm a pharmacist and I, it is against my, 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 my personal biblical conviction to dispense the morning after pill, I should not be forced by my government and lose my job if I'm forced to violate my conscience. This is what we're talking about. Because the rights of religion impact our conscience and the way we feel deeply in our heart. Now, re religious freedom of Christians has been under attack. Uh, several years ago, uh, it, it is the context of these next few comments, but several years ago, if you remember when same-sex marriage became the law of the land, Christians were increasingly attacked if they didn't support it. The case in point, a Christian baker went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, Christian institutions like the Little Sisters of the Poor, a, a Catholic charity, they had to file a lawsuit to protect their right not to include abortion or contraceptive care in their health care as we were going towards universal health care back then. They had to say, no, we have religious objections to this. 
um, the uh, uh, Christians lost their jobs because they supported traditional marriage. The uh, uh, executive, the chief executive of Mozilla, an internet company, gave $1,000 to a fund in California to get it on the ballot that, that a marriage is between a man and a woman, and he lost his job. Uh, military chaplains prohibited from promoting Christianity. It's unthinkable. But this is what has been happening in America. But I am thrilled. Things have been changing lately. Uh, let me show you a picture. I don't know if you recognize this man. This is an American citizen. He's a pastor, uh, Andrew Brunson. Uh, he was recently released from a Turkish prison. Uh, he was not, he was not uh, 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 breaking civil law, but yet they didn't like what he was doing as a Christian, so they threw him in jail. And I'm glad, grateful that our government got him out. I'm grateful our government protected him. Uh, our government at the highest levels as of late is taking steps to protect your religious liberty and mine. Our attorney general, I'm deeply appreciative. He's telling employers that they don't have to provide contraceptives if they have a religious objection. Our attorney general is saying Christians who oppose homosexual marriage cannot be discriminated against. Our attorney general is telling the IRS not to enforce the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment basically is intended to stifle free speech in America's pulpits. Uh, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom is helping persecuted people around the world. How many know that is a good thing? Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. Most of the persecution comes at the hand of the radical Muslim. And I am grateful to God today that our nation is stepping up as it rightfully should to protect not only our religious freedom, but the religious freedom of people around the world. Now listen, religious freedom can quickly, though, turn into persecution if we vote for the wrong people. Well, that's the first one. That's what it's going to be like. So what do you think? Let's look at the second one. I never imagined I would have to talk about this subject in church. I want to talk about individual freedom just a moment versus socialism and its ugly big brother communism. The Declaration of Independence, you recall, of the rights that were given, the first was life. What was the second? Liberty, Liberty or freedom, our right to be free. God created people to be free. Let me say it again. God created people to be free. America was founded by people longing for freedom to live their lives as they saw fit in a civilized society. Let me give you a couple of Bible verses. 1 Corinthians 7, the context there of slavery, it was practiced in the biblical era, not necessarily condoned, but practiced. And Paul asked the question, were you a bondservant or slave when called? Well, don't be concerned about it, but listen to this. If you can gain your freedom, do it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, freedom is better than being in bondage. Freedom is better than being in captivity. Freedom is better being under the control of a dictator. Freedom is better than being under the control of an authoritarian ruler. More broadly, 1 Peter 2 says this, Live as people who are free. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. Now, here's my question. Why would people want a government that continually takes away more of our rights or freedoms? And this is the promise of socialism today, and it's being parroted by some prominent politicians across America. They're telling people, particularly the young, that uh, uh, they want to they uh, lead America into socialism. Uh, they, wanna, they, they, they promise cradle-to-grave care, free health care, no student loans. 
Can I tell you, friends, it is leading you away from freedom because the more rights and freedoms you give up and the more control the government has, the less right you have to be free. Benjamin Franklin said this, when the people find they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. In other words, the people that are promising you a free lunch, and I am appalled today. I hope you're appalled, and I hope the American people will express their outrage of how much money we spend more than we take in. We are taking, we are taking in more money as Americans now in our taxation than we have in the history of America, but we are continuing to spend, we'll add a trillion dollars to our national debt this year. Somehow that insanity must stop. But the government giveaway, let me, let me be very clear. No government can make everyone prosperous. Every one of us in this room wants a better life. My hope for you is that you can have a better life. My hope for you is that you can live in a nicer home than you live in. My hope for you is that you can drive a nice car, that you'll be able to take vacations and do all those things of life. But I'll tell you this, the government cannot make that happen for you. And if we look to the only thing the government can do is make us all equally poor. And for governments that favor socialism and communism, the people at the top are wealthy, but the common people are not. They're poor. Socialism has no success stories. You cannot point your finger at a nation when the government began to run everything and the nation became more prosperous. And if you want to look at a living testimony right now, look at the nation of Venezuela. They heralded the role of communism. Even our, even our Hollywood actors were applauding it. But now tens of thousands of people are fleeing the country because they can't buy food. They can't find jobs. And I read recently their inflation rate is one million percent. A nation built on freedom is a nation I want to live in. There's an article I read recently from the Wall Street Journal. It was about Russia and the Russian Empire, the Soviet Empire. And listen to this article. 100 years of communism gave 100 million deaths. 100 years of government control. Because here's what government control does. The first thing it wants to do is it wants to stifle free speech. And you're seeing this now. You're seeing it on Facebook. You're seeing it on the Internet. You're seeing a stifling of politically incorrect speech that's somehow called hate speech. And the next step is not only do you stifle the speech, but you stifle the speaker. And you get rid of them. And this is what communist governments do, is they want to get rid of opposition. And in a hundred years, 100 million people around the world died at the hands of dictators. My friends, this speaks to me deeply. God's plan for your prosperity and mine is freedom to pursue our dreams, that we would be responsible for ourselves and work hard for our prosperity. I'm voting for politicians that will protect my freedom and not take it away. How about that? Let me give you a third one, and this is somewhat broad. It's about national sovereignty. It's about the nation of America, our borders. And then I want to talk a little bit about lawlessness and violence. As we gather here in this comfortable sanctuary, thousands of people are marching from Honduras to the American border. They're being paid to do this, and it's timed so that they'll arrive when we are voting in Election Day around November 2nd because what's called globalism doesn't want borders for nations. Now, I thought a great bit about this. What does the Bible teach us about the sovereignty of nations? The sovereign identification of nations. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, the words of Jesus, and Jesus speaks all the way into the last days. And Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom 
will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to In other words, and then the end will come. The Bible envisions nations, national sovereignty, around the world before the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. Now, what's going to happen when nations cease to exist? You'll have a one world government ruled by the Antichrist. And part of the spirit behind globalism today is not just better economics like a European Union or North American Union. What's behind it is a spiritual union that will culminate in a one world government. Now here's something that I know. You cannot have a nation if you don't have borders. And you will not have borders if borders are not enforced. There are politicians today that want open borders. They favor sanctuary cities. And it's as if the rights of the citizens become secondary. Landowners around the border have had to leave their farms and their homes because people are coming across the borders. There's violence, there's drugs, and many, and this is one of my greatest concerns, many people today are encouraging lawlessness. You see, we as Americans have for, since, I don't know how many years, but a long, long time, we've had ordered immigration. We've always been a nation of compassion that cared for people. When my uh, mother and, and grandparents immigrated to America in World War II, they came in an ordered, immigra ordered immigration system. They integrated into our society, and it was lawful as opposed to lawless. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, of the last days, lawlessness will be increased. And what you see today, the rampant disregard of laws in America is epidemic of our, the last days. It is not a good thing. Uh, we're seeing an increase of violence and hatred in politics. This is why people don't like to talk about it. I read recently that as of July 5th, there were over 600 documented cases, acts of violence because of political disagreement. In other words, you don't like who I'm standing for. You don't like the sticker on my car. I'll knock your window out. If I don't like what you're saying at your rally, I'll come and I'll stop your rally. I, but acts of violence. Last year at a congressional softball game, one of our congressmen was shot. And there was barely a whisper that surrounded it. Can I tell you, friends, violence was the thing that caused God to destroy the earth in Noah's day. And I don't know about you, but I cannot accept violence as a means to an end to advance a political agenda. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to be called children of God. I'm looking for a peacemaker to vote for. I'm looking for someone that will help be a uniter in America. I'm looking for someone that has compassion for immigrants that are coming our way, but yet someone that espouses the laws so that our nation could be one nation under God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Psalm 139, the fourth issue, abortion. And the protection of the most fundamental right, the right to life. Psalm 139, the psalmist speaking to God, saying, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Our nation's laws do not even recognize a person in the womb. You have to pass through the birth canal to be ascribed personhood in America today. And if you were a party to an abortion, a saline abortion, you would still, uh, many still believe that they have the right to take your life because you're not wanted. One of the primary roles of government is to protect the weakest among us. 
I am grateful to God that I live in a nation that has a welfare system. I'm grateful to God that I live in a nation that has a social security system. I'm grateful to God that if you're poor, I'm grateful to God today that if you don't have insurance and, and you're having a heart attack, you can, go into a, you can go into an emergency room and you can receive quality care. I am grateful to live in a nation that cares, but as a nation, we are failing the weakest among us, the baby in the womb. Yes. The Declaration of Independence, remind, re remember about the rights of people, saying that all people are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these, the first right is the right to life. life. That one million children will, be dis will not be allowed in America this year. Hence the phrase, the right to life. Abortion has been so politicized that we've forgotten that we're talking about little, innocent little boys and girls. I, I, I've heard some good news recently, though, on this front. Our president and vice president recently spoke at a March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. The first sitting president and vice president to ever do that. Uh, I've read uh, uh, in my studies that our government now allows states to defund Planned Parenthood and our government has defunded the International Planned Parenthood, blocking $9 billion, with a B, $9 billion from international abortion. Can I tell you, friends, many people will live and not die. And don't let quality of life issues shape your thinking. Don't let issues of poverty shape your thinking. Don't let issues of sustainability shape your thinking. These are human beings created in the image of God. Listen, some candidates will vote to protect life in the womb and some will vote to take the child's life right until they're born. And I am shocked that some candidates would even vote that if that child was born after a botched abortion, that there's what's called the, uh, oh, what was it called? It was the Born Alive Act. And someone even had to consider, do we need a law that if a child is born alive after an abortion, that that child deserves the right to life? I'm not voting for someone like that. I'm voting for someone that cares for not only the child in the womb, but for the person with Alzheimer's that's, that doesn't know who they are. All people are valuable to God because they're created in His image. And I want someone representing me like that. How many Arkansans in the room? Let me see here. Yeah, this will interest you. On your ballot, uh, uh, issue number four, uh, a, a casino on, uh, casinos are opening up. And they're starting with four, but believe you will go much beyond that. Uh, according to the Family Council Action Committee, casinos in Arkansas would be able to offer virtually any type of gambling including wagering on sporting events. And the, amendment, uh, the amendment would authorize internet gambling and wagering via electronic devices, your cell phone. The amendment taxes net revenue and it divides the tax among various state and local government bodies. You think you're addicted to your cell phone now? Wait till you can start gambling on your cell phone. <laughs> now listen, there is no scripture that says thou shalt not gamble. I know some of us know very clearly the differences between 7 and 11. I mean, are you with me today? Uh, a playing card. There's a lot of innocence that surrounds this, but there's also a lot of danger. There's not a scripture that says, Thou shalt not gamble, uh, but the attempt to get money by gambling violates the biblical principle of creating wealth. Let me say it again. The principle of obtaining wealth through a lottery ticket or some other way violates the principle of creating wealth, which is work. Listen to Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from a get-rich-quick scheme quickly disappears, 
But wealth from hard work grows over time. Money that comes easily disappears quickly. You throw the dice, you roll a nine, you get the money, you throw it again, you roll a seven, and you lose the money. It's the way that it works. Money comes quickly, disappears quickly. Money gathered little by little grow. Now, government wants gambling as a source of revenue, but there's many hidden social costs of gambling. I read a study by the university's co uh, cooperating University of Nevada and Oklahoma, as well as a federal agency working together. They found that as gambling increases, family debt increases, people lose their jobs. People who gamble will steal to get money. Many will go on welfare and family relationships will be adversely affected. Some candidates will vote to make gambling more accessible and some will vote to restrict it. You have a chance to decide what kind of community you want to live in. And I want to suggest to you there's just some things that I don't think need to be in our communities. It may be a place to practice it somewhere in America or take a drive to do it. But listen, I am so glad. A number of years ago, there was a, a, a strip club that opened up downtown. You may or may not remember, but it was in the old train station. And there was an Episcopal priest that showed up every night for 40 days with a video camera, videoing people, and it closed down. I'm so happy of our, that our main street is developing downtown Texarkana and bringing rejuvenation. But I can tell you this, if you had strip clubs lined up and down it, it wouldn't be the same nice environment that's down there now. I'm telling you, there's just some things that people have to say. You may have a right to practice this activity, but we don't want it involved in our culture and we don't want it involved in our community. Amen. Uh, let's talk about this next one. Uh, the first service I called it gun control. Now, I, now I'm calling it gun confiscation. Uh, I'm for gun safety. I'm for anything that we can do as a society to protect people from rampant gun violence. I'm for a solution for the streets of Chicago and the own streets of our city. I'm for a solution that would help stop and prevent uh, guns from being used in schools to murder, murder innocent children. Uh, let me use this as a biblical starting place. Did you know Jesus said it's okay to use a weapon for self-defense? You're staring at me like a cow staring at a new gate. You're thinking, what is this God doing? I'm glad you asked. I'm reading the Bible. Luke 22, verse 36, Jesus talking to his disciples. Now, earlier when he would send them out to do ministry, he said, don't take any money, don't even take a backpack. I'm going to supernaturally take care of you. But at this stage of the game, when he sends them out, what he does is he said, I want you to be prepared. Jesus said, let the one who has a money bag, take your visa card with you when you go. Uh, take your knapsack or take your sleeping bag. But notice this next phrase. Let the one who has no sword sell his coat and... If you don't have a sword, Jesus said, buy one. You say, wow, that was for peeling apples. No, I don't think it was for peeling apples. And it certainly wasn't to advance the Christian religion with violence. That's what the Muslim does. That's Sharia law. You conform or you die. But that's never the Christian way is to use violence to cause someone to love God. No, it's clearly for self-defense. We do have a problem with violence in America, but confiscating guns from law-abiding citizens is not the answer. Let, let me read a couple quotes from you from Thomas Jefferson, because many are taught today the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms... Many are falsely taught that it's so people could hunt and so they could shoot deer. Well, that is not true. Uh, remember, our founders 
in there, uh, uh, listen, they had to fight the British for freedom. The British tried to continue them in their slavery and subjection to the British Empire. So protecting themselves was fresh on their mind. Let me tell you a couple of quotes from Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said, What country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. He's not saying bring your gun to the White House and shoot the White House because you hate the president. But what he is saying is you need to be able to protect yourself. Now this next one makes so much sense. Thomas Jefferson said, The laws that forbid the carrying of arms disarm only those who are not inclined to commit crimes. In other words, if you take my guns away, the people that are going to give up the guns are the, are the good, decent people. But the people who won't give them up are the criminals and crooks. Such laws make things worse for the assaulted and better for the assailant. Better for the crook. Because an unarmed man may be attacked with greater confidence than an armed man. Now that just makes a lot of sense. But you say, well, that's Thomas Jefferson. Let me give you a personal family story. I've shared with you a number of times our, our family immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II that my grandfather in the middle of the night, he was a postmaster, and my grandfather, because he was influential in the town, uh, the Russians, uh, this was in the Russian domination, the, they became a satellite nation. The Russians came in in the middle of the night, didn't knock on the door, just came in, took my granddaddy out of bed, took barbed wire, barbed wired him to the other men outside, put him on a boxcar for Siberia. But what I didn't tell you is what they did before they came in and took him away, is they came in and took the guns away from the citizens. And when the citizens were not armed, they were not able to protect themselves. Just something extra. Listen, don't, don't buy your sword like Jesus said and go out and get mad at somebody to start a fight. Your guns are not, your protection is not for starting a fight. It's for defending yourself. You're pretty quiet on that one. Something to think about. Uh, uh, all my notes are online. It's all documented if you want to study further. Let me give you one more. Judicial appointments. These are judges. Like it or not today, America is not functioning the way we were founded. We have three, three branches to our government. The one that was supposed to have the most power was the Congress. We the people's representatives. The president was to have power but not unchecked power. But now uh, the, the, the Supreme Court, the last formed of the three branches of government, has the most power. Now nine men and women have the right to say pretty much yes or no on anything in America and there has typically been one swing vote. And this is why any Supreme Court nominee is so contentious. But here's what you need to know. Whoever you vote for is president. Whoever you vote for is a governor. Whoever you vote for is a senator. For example, you're going to be voting in Texas with me between uh, Beto O'Rourke and uh, uh, Ted Cruz. They're going to be in the Senate deciding issues of judges, whether they vote for these men or whether they not vote for them. Let me read you a Bible verse about the character of the judge. You shall appoint judges in all your towns, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. Is that in your Bible? A bribe blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. See, this is why biblical values matter. This is why character matters. This is why corruption should be exposed. Uh, notice verse 20, justice and only justice you shall follow so you may live and inherit the land. Well, sadly, though, once the justice is in office, you and I can't do anything about it. 
Right now, judges, federal judges uh, and state judges are appointed either by the president or by the governor. Local judges are elected. At the federal level today, there are 725 federal judges. Now think about this. One of the things when you vote for president, 103 are serving now were appointed by President Clinton, 214 by Bush, 319 by President Obama, and 43 by Trump. So whoever's values are represented by the party, because what happens, we have two types of judges in America. We have what, what you might call an, a, a, a constitutional originalist, which means that the founder's constitution, what they gave us, should be the framework and the bulwark for the way that our government works. But then you have uh, people that are progressives and they're social activists. They often overturn the will of the people. You say, what do you mean? Several years ago, I was proud of our Kansans. They voted, I'm talking about a vote on the ballot, that marriage would be between a man and a woman. Shortly after that, one unelected judge overturned the will of the people that voted, I think, 85% in favor of that. You remember, we're supposed to be we, we the people, but it is the will of the judge in many cases. In 2013, uh, again, in Arkansas, you passed, actually your House and Senate passed, the fetal heartbeat bill, which basically after 12 weeks, we now know that a child's heartbeat can be detected. The idea is this is a living person that's there. They, your Senate voted, your House voted, but one year later, a judge overturned it. This is why judicial appointments matter. This is not why, why just the way the governor looks and his or her appeal, our president's look or appeal. Uh, they're going to be gone in just a few years. But these men and women that become judges set the tone for the future. And who we vote for and who we pick in terms of judges will decide a future that affects us all. And as far as Gump would say, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't, you, why don't you stand to your feet? Again, as I said earlier, my intent to, this morning was not to try to convince you to be a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent, whatever. My, my intent, though, is very, very much been to challenge you about biblical thinking. And I do not suggest I have all the answers but if my answers were inadequate, I want you to find a biblical reason before you cast your ballot. Don't just let the look of the person. Don't just let their charisma. I got downright angry the other day. I got a letter from a candidate. I won't even say who it was. But this letter said uh, he knew how to work with people. He would go to Washington and he would bring people together. And I thought, well, you liar. I just read how you said that you were going to impeach the president if you got up there. Now, it can't have it both ways. You can't tell me one thing when you want me to elect you and another thing when you get in office. This is why we need men and women that have biblical values that would guide their hearts. We don't have a Christian party in America, which by the way, there's a lot of great voter education material in the lobby. We'll be adding to it each week. One of the favorite things I always get is a ballot a sample ballot so I can figure out before I go in the booth. Because when I was young, I'd go in the booth and I said, I didn't know that was on there. I have no clue what it means. And I'm voting in the dark. What we're trying to do as a church is not tell you who to vote for, but to help you make an informed decision and hopefully from a biblical perspective. We don't have a Christian party in America. Wikipedia says there are 38 political parties 
Obviously, the major is Democrat and Republican. But I hope that God will help us find the men and women who stand closest to the values of the Bible. I'll close with this. A founding father, his name was Samuel Adams. He was a cousin of the second president. He said this, Let each citizen remember at the moment he's offering his vote that he's not making a present or a compliment to please an individual. But he's executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society in which he's accountable to God and his country. 1 Timothy 2 says this, Pray for your rulers. Pray for all who have authority so we can have quiet and peaceful lives full of worship and respect for God. Pray for your rulers and those in authority. It's good and it pleases God our Savior. I have practiced this whether I like the president or not. Whether I like President Trump or not, I pray for him. Just as I did President Obama, just as I did President Bush, just as I did President Clinton, I pray for my president because the Bible teaches me to. Because like you, I want a quiet and peaceable life. <laughs> I want what that declaration promised me, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there's people, men and women, that'll stand in between that. They can either make it happen or it can take it away. But could we just close in prayer together now? And Lord, we do want to act on this prayer and we do want to pray for all those that are volunteering to serve our country. Lord, there's good ones and there's ones that are not so good. I just pray that you would give us godly men and women to, in our nation. Lord, and I, I pray that and many will, may not be Christians, but they'll still make decisions that are God-honoring. Lord, I want to pray that if there's any that are corrupt, any that are deceptive, any that are lying, I, I, I pray that they'd be exposed. God, I pray that they would not be able, through a slick advertising firm, be able to deceive us. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us. And today, God, we all do collectively pray for the leaders of our nation. God, we pray for Lord Jesus, our Supreme Court. We pray for our president, all the cabinet members. We pray for uh, Congress. We pray for local state governments. God, our governors, our uh, congressmen that are there, the men and women. Uh, even locally, Lord, our city councils and, 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 and school boards and local judges. We pray for all these men and women that they would do their God-given duty and protect our God-given rights so that we could live a quiet and peaceable life. And this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's close this way. We're going to close with one last song. And if you just don't have to go, just wait till the song's over before you dismiss. We're going to have one last song, but I'm going to have the prayer team come forwards one more time. And if you need prayer for anything, someone will be here to pray for you. It could be for yourself, someone you care about. It could be problem, whatever the case is. But if you want prayer and talk to someone, they'll be here. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray is about your personal relationship with God. When I was a boy, I was raised by a train track. And I just got used to it. It's real close. And it's a loud sound. But you know what? That train would go by my house every day, 60 miles an hour, up and down, up and down, up and down. And you know what? I never got on the train. But I rode a train when I joined the Navy. First time I joined it, and I had to go to Memphis, and I got on in the downtown train station. You see, once you get on the train, then the train will take you somewhere. But if you stand and just watch it go by, it doesn't do any good. So what am I saying? You have to take a step to get on board with Jesus. Coming to church is good. Even reading your Bible is good. But none of them are the starting place for a personal relationship with God. You see... 
God doesn't want to just be known as the man upstairs and the one to call when you get in trouble. He wants to be your heavenly Father. And there's a problem all of us have. It's called sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin is like this huge wall we can't get over or can't get around. When Adam and Eve messed it up, they messed it up for us all. But when Jesus died on that cross, that's a symbol. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. He died so that we could once again have our sins forgiven and have real relationship with God. But yet to have relationship with God, I've got to go to the train station and get on board. And it just happens to be that church today is a train station. I'm not asking you to join a church today, but I'm asking you if you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, well, what do I need to do, Pastor? Do what the Bible says. Believe in Jesus and follow Him. Believe that He died for your sins. Believe that He rose from the dead. Believe that He's coming back again as King of kings and Lord of lords. Ask Him to forgive you and commit your life to follow Him. And if you feel right now like I'm talking to you, if something inside your life, inside your head saying, that's what's missing in my life, a relationship with God. Friend, I'd encourage you, don't leave this place until you make a step with Christ. When they begin to sing this last song, I'm just going to invite you committing to Christ. Slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross. They will not embarrass you, but they'll help you. They'll pray for you, and they'll give you something to help you live the Christian life. Don't be embarrassed or intimidated. It'll be the greatest step you've ever made for God. I promise you it's life-changing. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now. They are here to pray for you about anything. But most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming today.